Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and I'm so excited that you have tuned in today. This is the channel, the Christian channel that loves atheists. And today I am so excited because we're going to have a special guest on the program that I just I can't wait for you to hear from. And uh, obviously that what we're going to talk about is one of the most important issues confronting our culture today. And it is one of the reasons why much of the time Christianity is seen as a counterculture, and it has to do with our views about uh, sexuality. Um, today, we are going to have on the show Christopher Yuan, Dr. Christopher Yuan. I want to tell you just a little bit about him before I bring him on with us. Uh, Christopher Yuan D. Min has taught the Bible at Moody Bible Institute for over 10 years, and his speaking ministry on faith and sexuality has reached five continents. He speaks at conferences, college campuses, and churches on these incredible issues. He has co-authored with his mother their memoir, Out of a, Fa Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope and 100,000 copies sold. And folks, as a person who has written books, um, you're, you're excited to know that someone more than, than your mother buys your book. And to know that 100,000 copies have been sold just speaks to the importance of this issue. He's also the author of Giving a Voice to the Voiceless. Christopher graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2005 and received a master's in biblical exegesis in 2007 and a doctor of ministry in 2014. Dr. Yuan's newest book, Holy Holy Sexuality, and I want you to see what that book looks like. Holy Sexuality, uh, Sex, des let's see, se and the Gospel, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story, was named 2019 Book of the Year for Social Issues by Outreach Magazine. He's been interviewed in media outlets, including Christianity Today in the market with Janet Parshall and the Eric Metaxas Show, as well as the Christian Post. Now, I'm going to put a number of his social media um, uh, contact informations in the uh, description for this video, so you'll want to look for that below. But um, I'll just leave you with this. You can at least check out Christopher Yuan. Dot com. So that's Christopher Y-U-A-N.com if you don't remember anything else. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and bring him on the show. I'm just, I'm just so excited about this. But uh, Dr. Yuan, thank you for coming on the program today. Oh, thanks for having me on, Dr. Hunter. It's, it really is a joy. I'm just as excited as you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this is, uh, um, it, I'll tell you what, just over the past few weeks, uh, your ministry has really come to mean a lot to me. Um, listeners of the show know that my best friend from high school, uh, we, we went to a conservative Christian school in a conservative Christian place, and we were members of conservative Christian churches, and yet my best friend from high school began to experience same-sex attraction, and it led to a degradation in his faith such that he came mm -hmm. to the honest conclusion, I can either accept biblical sexuality and reject this gay lifestyle, or I can accept the gay lifestyle and reject biblical sexuality. And he chose to accept the gay lifestyle. And as a result of that, um, much of what I do in apologetics, it has been ultimately to reach him as he now not only identifies as a gay man, but as an atheist, in fact. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that obviously is not as close to my heart probably as it is to yours because of your experience in this, but it is certainly something that matters to us on Trinity Radio. And so this is the right time, and I think that you're the right man for this. And uh, but listen, before we get too much into this interview, you have this new book out, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. And I know as someone who has uh, ha tries to recommend good resources to people, since that's your newest resource, that's probably the thing you're most excited about. Are there some things you'd like to say about that book? As I mean, what, why is that different than there are a lot of books on on this yes. issue out there? Yeah, you know, I, I think 
there's a lot of books, like you say, and the last thing that an author wants to do is actually kind of to throw another resource on there, maybe saying something similar that's already been said. And, and what I realized is I've, this is the topic that I speak on, I'm reading all these resources from both sides. I realized that there's a lot of discussion, it seems to be, about what these different texts are saying. And, and as those who hold to the Bible being true, hold high to the, uh, you know, a high view of Scripture and recognize the value of the gospel, we, we see the importance of these resources defending a biblical sexuality, that these six passages, whether it's Genesis 19, Leviticus 18, 22, Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, and then Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and 1 Timothy 1, these six passages do condemn same-sex relationships. And I think, like I said, those are really important, but we can't build a Christian life on God's no. And so I wanted to write a book that I felt like hadn't really been touched on. And what is God's yes? Not mm. jumping into practical theology, but building a a good systematic and biblical theology of sexuality. So that was kind of the purpose of my, my newest book. Well, that's really great. And um, for those that, that don't know your story, I want them to get a taste of that. Now, I do want to say that typically what we do on this show is we interact with skeptics and atheists and agnostics and people like that. And to, to tease you a little bit, to stick around uh, toward the end, one of the most popular um, atheist YouTubers out there. And by the way, folks, if you're watching this video and you're a parent or you're a ministry professional of some sort or the other, you should know that the first place that young people go, and in fact, more and more older people go, uh, when they have questions and they need to know how to do something like fix their washer and dryer or worldview related issues, is they go to YouTube. And so that's very important. And YouTube is dominated in the worldview arena by atheism today. But one of the most popular uh, atheist voices out there on YouTube is uh, a young man by the name of, or he goes by the moniker Genetically Modified Skeptic. And Genetically Modified Skeptic was uh, went to a Christian university. And uh, according to him, Dr. Yuan spoke at that university. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that atheist had to say and get Dr. Yuan's reaction toward the end of this video. But I don't want that to detract at all from the powerful testimony uh, of what God has done in Dr. Yuan's life. And so I want you to hear that from him. So Dr. Yuan, as for those out there in the audience who aren't yet familiar with your personal story, uh, how do you kind of open that up and move into that territory? Well, you know, I, I so appreciate, Rexton, your your desire and emphasis to, to engage with atheist agnostic people who are questioning your faith. Uh, because I was there. I did not believe in Christ. I was raised here. My parents were born in China. They came to the United States uh, through Taiwan because they were, you know, after the communists took over, they were able to flee that when they were younger to Taiwan. They came to the United States for graduate school. And I, so I was born here. My I wrestled with my identity from, from a young age. And in addition, I was actually exposed to pornography at a really young age. And that was the first time that I realized that I had these attractions to the opposite sex. Uh, I'm sorry, to the to the same sex. I didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't tell anyone. I kept them hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps reserves. I'm from Chicago and I moved from Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky to pursue my doctorate in dentistry. My dad's a dentist and I was going to be a dentist as well. And it was there that I came out of the closet. And after a year, I decided to go home and break the news to my parents. I told them, I am gay. It was my declaration. Amazingly, God used that crisis, that announcement, to bring my mother to faith and then later my father as well. Well, I went the total opposite direction, and I wanted nothing to do with Christianity. I thought they had lost their minds. I spent most of my free time in the gay clubs. I went from relationship to relationship seeking intimacy and happiness. I know right away people are going to say, well, well, you're saying that all gays and lesbians do drugs. That's obviously not. I'm just simply telling my story. And if people will allow me to tell my story, I'll do that. And I want to do that honestly and authentically. I can't hide any of my past. So I did do drugs. Um, and But like some of my classmates, I was poor. And if I was going to do drugs, that meant I needed to support my habit. And I did that by selling drugs. And I sold to friends, classmates, even a professor. See, I actually thought I could live this double life of being a graduate student by day and a promiscuous drug dealer by night. But three months before I was to receive my doctorate, the administration of the school expelled me. So I moved from Louisville to Atlanta, and I kept doing what I knew how to do best, which was have fun, live it up. 
I began not just only selling drugs, but I began supplying drugs to dealers in over a dozen states. In addition, it was nothing for me to have multiple anonymous sexual encounters each and every day. Because according to the world, I had it all, money, fame, drugs, and sex. Because I'd exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and I began worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. Because in my world, I had become God. My parents had no clue that I was doing drugs, but they knew my biggest need was not that I was doing drugs or rebelling, or they even knew my biggest need was not even being in same-sex relationships. My biggest problem was that I didn't know Christ. So they tried, They prayed for a miracle. Again, not that I would turn from gay to straight, but they prayed that I would surrender my life to Jesus. See, my biggest sin was not same-sex relationships. My biggest sin was unbelief. So they re- tried to reach out to me, and I, they came to me, visit me one time at Braxton in Atlanta, and I told them to get out. And, you know, they weren't preaching at me. They weren't telling me that I was living in sin. Oftentimes, the, how we are often portrayed, and I know probably some parents do that. Well, my parents didn't. They reach out to me, and just the fact that God had so transformed their lives that they radiated Christ, that was offensive to me, and I told them to leave. I didn't even give them an opportunity to call up their friends. I told them to leave. My dad gave me his Bible, thinking that I might read it. They walked out, and I told them, I took my dad's Bible, and I threw it in the trash can. That's how much I despise God. Because oh we hear the narrative today that Christian parents cannot love their gay children. You have to get rid of that old ancient teaching of the Bible that's outdated and bigoted to actually love your gay children. But Braxton, I had the exact opposite experience. My parents weren't Christian and they rejected me. It wasn't until they became followers of Christ that they knew that they could do nothing other than to love me as God loves them. Romans 5, while we were powerless, while we were still sinners, while we were even enemies. So they loved me. Well, I, after that trip, my parents knew that I was just hopeless, that I was completely unreachable. But my mom and dad committed to not focus upon hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. And along with over a hundred prayer wars, they began to cry out to God for me. My mom began to pray a bold prayer that God would do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to him. That that's kind of some faith. That's kind of scary uh, to pray that way, isn't it, Doctor Yuan? I mean, I think I think about uh, people uh, that I know who are unbelievers and seem pretty uh, belligerent about these issues and pretty um, aggressive in their unbelief. And yep. uh, not not that everyone out there who's not a Christian is that way, but but I, people in my life, and I, it's difficult to pray a prayer like that because for all you know, it may take some serious divine pressure to get someone to a particular point. Right. That's right. It it is a scary prayer, and what's even more interesting is it's a really scary scary prayer for a mother to make for an mm. Asian mother to make. But my mom and and oftentimes people talk about how my mom had such great faith, and this is what she always says each time. She says, "I had little faith. She was she was just at the end of a rope, and and that was just essentially." Her giving me up to God and realizing that it, there's no way that she could save her son. Again, not her, you know, she knew that it was not homosexuality that was the ultimate problem. The problem was that I did not believe in Christ. So my mom began praying, uh, do whatever it takes to bring my son to faith. Do whatever it takes. She began enlisting over a hundred prayer warriors from their church. And, you know, and from her church, from her Bible study fellowship group, because first of all, we believe in a God, not that the prayer solves things, but it's we're petitioning to the only one who can pray things. And that's why I understand it doesn't make sense to people who don't believe in God that we would be praying if they don't even believe in a God. But there is a God. And if he calls us to call out to him and pray to him, we're doing that to 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 uh, to send out petitions to him, and oftentimes through that, it's actually God is changing us through it. So my parents prayed for a miracle, and what's so interesting is that miracle came with a bang on my door. 
Opened up my door, and on my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So they confiscated all my money, my drugs, and I was charged with the equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. So wow. I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I'd started with this bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself in the ditch among society's despised in Atlanta City Detention Center. Well, so I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt your flow there, but I just want to highlight a couple of things. First of all, you you said um, to, unbelievers don't don't get this necessarily. Yeah. They, they haven't experienced it. But that prayer is a powerful thing, and it's not even that the prayer itself is powerful. It's that the one you're petitioning is the one who has the power to do these things. Yeah. Um, and and I think that is an important thing because we often hear about how oh, there's been these studies on prayer that show that prayer works at the rate of chance and all those sorts of things. And I think that there are problems with with each of those studies. Um, we've talked about that on other episodes of the show. But but um, if a particular prayer doesn't get answered, even if it seems like one that in our, from our human perspective, God would really want to answer, uh, that, yeah. that doesn't mean that prayer is ineffective. It just means that there is a, there is a person behind that prayer who you're asking to do something and he doesn't have to do it. Um, right. and the second thing is the counterintuitive nature of your mother praying, do whatever it takes. And the answer to that prayer is actually her son being arrested and facing the possibility of life in prison. Right, right. I don't know how many statistics or, or studies would actually then say that that was a good answer to prayer. Right, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, so I, uh, that answer to prayer, I was arrested. I found myself in jail, and I was actually sentenced to, uh, you know, I was facing ten years to life. Well, a couple couple days after that, I was walking around the cell block, and I was just thinking, you know, I've just destroyed my life passed by this garbage can, and something on top of the trash caught my eye. I bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. <laughs> bent over, picked it up, and I brought it back to my cell, and I began reading the Word of God, and it began to convict me. And at first, you know, people are like, oh, this is good news. I'm like, this is not good news. I'm a sinner. Not against that just, I sinned against my parents, I sinned against uh, the government, and I sinned against the holy God, you know, but this is, uh, you know, I, I've sinned myself against the only true creator, the holy God before me. And so it wasn't good news. Well, things got worse. I was called to the nurse's office and she gave me the news that I was HIV positive. Mm. So I was devastated. And I was lying in my bed a couple of days after that, uh, just contemplating the mess I've made of my life. And I look up at the cold metal bunk above me and someone had scribbled something. If you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And what I mean, God could have put any, any verse up there, but he knew that I needed to hear that just as God had a plan for rebellious Israel in exile, in rebellion, he might even have a plan for me, someone in prison because of my rebellion. I had no clue where that plan was going to take me, but God gave me a simply enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day and the next and the next. So my transformation was gradual. God was convicting me of my dependencies, obviously drugs. But within a few months, God delivered me from my addiction. God kept bringing to mind other idols, and there was one that I felt like I just couldn't let go of, and it was my sexuality. So I went to a chaplain and I asked him his opinion. <laughs> and Braxton, to my surprise, this chaplain told me the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. Hmm. So I was like, oh, great. And he gave me a book explaining that view. And I thought, fantastic. Now I can finally find biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand, the Bible in the other. And from a purely human perspective, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. But I know now it was God's indwelling Holy Spirit that convicted me that those assertions were a clear distortion of God and his word. I couldn't even finish that book, and I gave it back to the chaplain, which meant wow. I turned to the Bible alone. And I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of scripture 
looking for justification. Braxton, everything inside of me wanted to find anything, any shred of evidence in the Bible that might bless a monogamous same-sex relationship. The chaplain says the Bible blesses same-sex relationships. So I thought, well, I want to read that for myself. So I went through the whole Bible. I went cover to cover several times. I had time. I looked and I looked and I couldn't find any. So I was at this turning point and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God in his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my attractions, and this is important, by allowing my sexual attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived. Or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship, how? By freeing myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires to control who I am, and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Hmm. My decision was clear and obvious. I followed Jesus. Amen. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I realized that my sexuality should not be the core of who I am. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally, and that's true. But as sinners, don't we sometimes like to add to God's truth? I add it so therefore God doesn't want me to change. Similar to people who say to us, God loves me just the way I am, so leave me alone. But after reading the Bible, I learned that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my hmm. behavior. See, my identity shouldn't be defined by my sexuality. My identity should not be defined by my, by my desires. My identity is not gay. It's not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual for that matter. Because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy for I am holy. You know, I thought in the past, if I were to become a Christian, that I would have become a heterosexual. And what does that mean? Well, heterosexual means being attracted to some of the opposite sex. Well, that's pretty broad. And I realized that even if I had opposite sex attractions, I would still need to flee temptation and resist sin. God never says, be heterosexual, for I am heterosexual. But neither did God say, be homosexual, for I am homosexual. God said, be holy, for I am holy. Therefore, mm -hmm. the option of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That's not the goal. It's the right direction, but it's too broad. But the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm struggling, whether I'm tempted, but I just need to focus on living a life of holiness and living a life of purity because change is not the absence of temptations, but change is the spirit-wrought ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations because the ultimate issue is not whether I'm struggling or tempted, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. As I, as I began living this surrender, life of surrender and obedience, God began to reveal his plan for my life, and he called me to full-time vocational ministry while I was in prison, and I realized I needed to learn more about the Bible. So I called on to my parents, asked them to mail me an application to Moody Bible Institute. They mailed it in, and I was quickly filled out the application. I realized I needed references. So I was able to persuade a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another, another prison inmate to write my references to Moody. And amazingly, Moody accepted me. Released from prison July of 2001, started the very next month in August. So imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? <laughs> I graduated from Moody 2005, went on to my master's, and then finally got my doctorate, and then was able to write this book with my mom in 2011, and then just in 2018 was able to co-author this, uh, I'm sorry, or in 2018, uh, end of November, was able to write this book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Yeah, and again, uh, we're going to put the link to that book where you can get it in uh, from Amazon or from your website directly, um, and you'll want to read that. So that is that is just unbelievable, and I feel like we just got the uh, speed version of that. So, um, <laughs> but but hey, a couple of things about that, that that caught my attention. First of all, I love that that um, it's holiness. It's about getting to holiness, not heterosexuality. And um, I've heard you say that before, and that seems like a pretty clear 
part of your regular talk is that it's it's you know it's not that you can necessarily just pray the gay away so to speak mm-hmm. or pray hard enough believe hard enough and you'll you'll you know be attracted to women um, it, it's it's that whatever happens whether god delivers you supernaturally like that or not and i don't believe there's a biblical guarantee that he'll do that uh, for every person uh, he's god i believe he can do whatever he wants um, but uh, but you don't say that. You, you, you say um, that it's not about whether I still have those attractions or not. It's about holiness. That's that's the goal. That's what we're shooting toward. Have I got that right? That's right. It is. It is. And, you know, I, I think Pray Away the Gay has, has always been kind of, uh, you know, I've never heard, you know, any Christian use that phrase but it's usually phrase that phrase is used against us. Uh, and I mean, I think it's multifaceted. First of all, I think there was a time in which the church may have used that as, or given that message that there is a way that you can turn from gay to straight. So, uh, you know, I think that we, it's, we just need to recognize that. And actually that wasn't even in the church. It was also, uh, before even the APA was, you know, changed their view and changed the DSM-4 to, to a different perspective. I think there were those, I mean, that, you know, that took that perspective, but, you know, the APA shifted, uh, society shifted, and, you know, the Christians, some still continue to hold that view, but but I don't think it's something that that is biblical, because if we view this as the Bible teaches, as sinful behavior, you can't just pray sin away. Prayer is very important. From the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, God calls us to pray, but never once did God give the impression, or does the Bible ever give the impression, that prayer is a formula, that that we pray and then we're guaranteed for something to happen. Never. It's, we are called to pray and God hears our prayers, but what we see over and over and over is that God's answer to our prayers is many times not what we expect. Yeah, you know, um, you obviously have poured over the relevant biblical data on this, I'm sure, more than I have. But, uh, you know, to me, I look at a passage that is often held up as evidence that you can just pray, or if you really repent, God will change your um, desires that way. And that's 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And there, um, it's taught that here's a list of some sinful behaviors. And Mm -hmm. then Paul says, and such were some of you. But, right. you know, and people say, well, so, you know, if these people used to be that and they're not now and homosexuality is listed there, well, then clearly these people are no longer homosexual. But mm-hmm. in that list is also sexual immorality in general and idolaters and, and other sins that, that we often we see other lists like this from Paul that say thieves and, and things like that. So um, being delivered from these things is being delivered from the behavior. It's at least that because. Uh, are we really to say that the person who was a thief and then came to Christ is never tempted to, to steal anything ever again? Or that the sexually immoral who's heterosexual, who, um, who comes to Christ, is never tempted by uh, a heterosexual a sexual opportunity in the future? I don't think that that makes sense of the text. I think that those people are delivered. It, it may mean more than this for sp- particular individuals, but at the very least, it seems that it means that you're delivered from that lifestyle because you're now following Christ. Is that how you look at something like that? Yeah, you know, I think it's always important to see what the text actually says. You know, I I, I never want to be considered the, the go-to person for anything, or even the expert on this topic of sexuality. That's never come out of my mouth. I don't like it when people say that because— I just view myself as someone who tries to be faithful to the Word of God. As often I teach at Moody to my students, and even when I speak to churches and conferences, I remind people, actually don't believe something simply because I said it. Listen, I hope. Take notes, I hope. But go home and open up the only authority which we have, which is the Word of God. This is the only authority. And so because of that, we need to be faithful expositors of of His Word. So going to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, 
you know, uh, do you not know the, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, which, by the way, Paul lists 10 sins. It's only two out of those 10 that focus upon homosexual behavior, very clearly focus upon homosexual behavior. But there's a lot of other things there. And you mentioned that. But it's what is said after that. Such were some of you. Amen. But what does it say after that? But you were washed. How? Were we washed with soap and water? No, we were washed by the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? Well, it's explained right at that. It says, but you were justified, but you were sanctified. So actually what's talking about, but such were some of you, it's talking about justification and sanctification. In other words, before that, they were not justified. They were not sanctified. So the such were some of you means that they were sinners. Now they are justified. They are sanctified doesn't say, but now you are straight, but now you are no longer a liar. No, I mean, yes, but it's in the category uh, that is actually, it, it will be a consequence, if you will, of justification and sanctification. But the main point is, is that you were justified, not based on anything that I did, not even based on, on an individual stop doing their sin. It's, Stop doing your sin is a result. It's a consequence of justification. As a matter of fact, the way that Jesus talks about this is we talk about repentance. Repentance is actually a fruit, a result of our faith in Christ, not the other way around. So that's the important thing is when we're thinking about the context of what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, particularly verse 11, the such were some of you is not at all kind of a gay to straight model. It's really a model of unsaved to saved, unbelief to belief. That's the true model. And unfortunately, as we, we, we really try to oversimplify it and we try to become very pragmatic and and almost view it in in a much more humanist way, and if I can even add a, a, a more actually Freudian way. I mean, when when we think about change more as this gay to straight model, that's strictly a Freudian framework, not a biblical one. And unfortunately, many people are are sometimes more busy trying to chase after Freud than Christ. But as a, a minister of the gospel, I always want to use my framework when I can as a biblical framework. And the biblical framework, particularly coming here in 1 Corinthians 6, is one from unbelief to belief, one from not being justified to one that is now justified, one that was not, was not sanctified and now is sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. And so um, because of texts like that and the proper understanding of those kind of texts, we don't necessarily have a guarantee that God is going to change our sexual orientation. Um, and so I, I think that's uh, powerful. And I, I love how you broke that down. Um, you know, one other thing of practical note, and, and then we'll move on, is I noticed that you, you were talking about, and this, this is one of the best things, one of the best, most quotable lines from your testimony, and I'm, I'm about to butcher it so you can correct me, but you said something like, um, unconditional acceptance is not the same thing as unconditional approval. Is that, did I say that right? Yeah. It, unconditional love is not uh, the love. same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. Yeah. Of my yes. behavior. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, last year there was, uh, there are a couple of you know, really famous, really celebrity status um, YouTubers out there um, who have a show called Good Mythical Morning. It's kind of a, mm, uh, sure. uh, have you, you've seen the show? It's got a lot of yes. the stuff you would have in a church youth group, you know, games yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah. these guys uh, were Humongous in campus. following. Yeah, they had Campus yeah, Crusade for Christ. Mm -hmm. yep. yep, and and they have since yep. deconverted or deconstructed or however you want to frame that up soteriologically. They they were in the church now they're not in the church. Yes, and um and I was just looking at they they did a video one year after the fact. How do we look back on this year now that we've deconstructed in this way? And um, one of the guys, Link, said, you know, the the thing here's one of the positives. He said, uh, my son. Uh, I took my son to the fair and he happened to see his teacher there. And he said he loves that teacher. I mean, just loves that teacher. And so there's that awkwardness of seeing your teacher out of the context of the classroom, you know, out in the wild. And he said, but, but he overcame that awkwardness because he just loves that teacher 
but she was there with her wife and it was clear that she was a lesbian. And he said, the thing I thought was if my son had been raised with what I had been raised with, he wouldn't have felt free to love her. And then he corrected himself and said, I mean, there's a lot of things you could say about that. Love the sinner, hate the sin. He said, I, I know all of that. And we love people. We want to reach them. But he said, not really love her fully. He would always know something's wrong here. Something's not right about this. And um, what? how would you respond to that sort of a sentiment? Well, honestly, I think the... The core issue, and this is where in my newest book I begin with this, and this is uh, this this misunderstanding of turning sexuality into a matter of personhood. You see, this is why you know the Mythical Morning, uh, you know, co-hosts they 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 said this that 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 my son would not be able to fully love her. Because what they're doing is they cannot separate her relationship, her sexuality, with who she is. I mean, Braxton, if, if we talk to any of our unbelieving friends and we ask them, uh, you know, what do you mean, you know, and if they identify as gay or, or, you know, what does being gay mean? They will not say, you know, well, being gay means this is who a person is or who I am. I'm sorry. They won't say, you know, being gay is what a person feels or what a person does. Instead, what they will say is being gay means this is who I am. So this shift from what to who has really created this radically distorted view of personhood because no longer is sexuality about one's experience. It's about who a person is. So it's shifted from an existential reality to an ontological reality. And that's why, and, and I think Christians, we miss that, because we, we see this strictly as a matter of behavior. Yeah, and yes, it is a matter of sinful behavior, but we cannot see, we can't see it through the eyes of an unbeliever, and not that we have to see it to agree with them, but we can see it to understand their framework and then be able to explain it or be able to show, in essence, why their framework is faulty. So this is why I think it's so important that Christians, we understand that the biggest misunderstanding, and unfortunately, we have also not addressed this, that this is not a matter of identity, but this is a matter of one's deep-rooted, strong desires and feelings that they never ask for or never, you know, um, they've had for as long as they remember. But there are a lot of things that we've never asked for or never or had as long as we remember that isn't a matter of our personhood. So I think that's really the, the most important thing that Christians, we need to understand. And when we understand that, I really believe that will help us to understand our unbelieving neighbors, our LGBT friends and loved ones, so that we can hopefully engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Christopher, as we're in the culture right now, in the church culture, it strikes me that one of the biggest um problems, one of the biggest detractors. Obviously, uh, there are theological things we could say about this, but in terms of what's on the surface and what people say, the evangelical church's position on sexuality is um, is really, in the eyes of the world, a bad look, you know, especially right. in these days when, when it's tied up with um, the movement that's going on. And uh, in the midst of that, you have churches that are um, maybe there are churches that are, are taking an approach that is not only s strong on the truth, which we want them to be, but, but not as friendly toward the person. Then there right. are individuals like, hopefully I think you and I are, who, no, we want to be friendly and loving and approachable, and, and we're, we're, but we're presenting the truth with you. But there, there, is this, there is this movement now that is known as the gay Christian movement. I know you're fully yeah. aware. And, uh, and, and people say, well, you know, I, and maybe they have to give up a particular view of biblical inerrancy and things like that to get here, or maybe they reinterpret passages of Scripture. Uh, and I could see a person like that looking at your testimony and saying, yeah, but Christopher, here's the thing. You, you admitted 
and you said not all gay people are selling drugs and, and doing all those things, but you admitted that you had multiple sexual partners um, at any given time. And so what you needed, Christopher, what you really needed was a loving, monogamous same-sex relationship, and then you could have lived out your Christianity and it would have been pleasing to God. How do you respond to someone like that and to that movement in general? Well, I mean, you you really hit the nail on the head because you mentioned the, the main issue with these denominations, um, the mainline denominations, and even now these ev- ev- you know even individual, even evangelical churches or, or ones that claim to be or have been evangelical churches that are now embracing same-sex relationships or even saying kind of this third wave where they're saying, well, you know, this is one of these negotiable items. We can just agree to disagree on whether God blesses same-sex relationships or not, which, by the way, that is a statement in it, in and it of itself. You know, people try to say we're not making a statement, but not making a statement is making a statement. But really the issue is what you named before is, is the Word of God truly and completely and perfectly His Word, or is— are there some things that make us uncomfortable? Are there, th- well, I mean, it, it should make us uncomfortable, but are there things in there that need to be improved and revised and edited, even though people will say, oh, it's minor, because, you know, some of these people that, that would even claim to be evangelical, but now they're gay affirming, they would say, oh, we're not like the mainline denominations, but that's kind of like, there's a saying in Chinese where we call the, the one who has run a hundred uh, steps is now last, laughing at the person who has run 50 steps. And the whole story is, you know, these are uh, soldiers retreating. And the one that's uh, run, I'm sorry, the one that ran 50 steps is laughing at the one that's run a hundred steps because they're saying, oh, you're a coward when actually they're both cowards. You know, so, you know, one is saying, well, you know, I'm not as bad as you. You know, I don't like, you know, just throw out the whole Bible like the mainline denominations. But it doesn't matter if you just throw out one verse or a few verses or half a verse. That's still the same thing. And the real issue behind the Christians and the denominations and the individual churches where they are, you know, I don't like the term affirming homosexuality, but it's rejecting God's biblical truth. This is the issue. It's their view of Scripture. Is the Bible perfect without error or not? Hmm. And every single person that I've talked to, that's the main issue. And I almost don't even, you know, need to get into the discussion first. I just first, like, before we even talk to, you know, it's, you say you believe in God. Okay, that's good. You know, you say you believe in Jesus Christ. Great. But what place, you know, is the Word of God perfect or not? And, I mean, I would dig into that. What? How do you view the Old Testament? Because I've very rarely met any person who claims to be, you know, a progressive gay Christian that actually has a correct understanding of the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament has errors. We don't follow that anymore. There's a lot of things. You know, they would say the Old Testament is patriarchal, etc. And that is actually quite a contrary view of how Jesus Christ himself, our Lord, viewed the Old Testament. He had a very, very high view of the Old Testament, and not to say that certainly there are things that that are that kind of can be controversial or we don't follow. People would think, but that's not how we understand that. As people who have a high view of Scripture, we understand that Jesus Christ, who is the Living Word, came not to abolish the law but to fulfill the law. And there are many aspects where He did fulfill the law, like the unclean laws, etc. So I think really the point is what is the Word of God? Is it inerrant or not? Because if it isn't, that has direct implications on the gospel. Because every person that I know that have gone that route, whether it's the mainline denominations, whether it's gay Christians, whether it's these so-called evangelical churches that claim to be loving but have given and rejected on, you know, biblical sexuality, the gospel is no longer about justification of and the salvation of sinners and the sanctification of believers, but it's about just being a good person. It's become about, you know, what the world is talking about now, about social justice and about racism and these things, which are important, but that can never supersede the importance of why Jesus Christ came to die, and he came to die for sinners, and we're all sinners. This is why, you know, racism and 
you know, even critical theory misses the mark because it makes the oppressor the only problem and the oppressed the only ones that are innocent. That's not the way that the Bible views things. Every human being is a sinner, and every human being is in need of a Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Christopher, in the time we have left, um, I'd like to turn our attention to genetically modified skeptic. And for those of you who are watching this video because perhaps you just found this randomly on YouTube or it was recommended to you, that is the name um, of a channel on YouTube that is run by an atheist whose name is Drew. I, I, don't, I, I never can remember his last name, but he goes by the name genetically modified skeptic. Very approachable wonderful, sweet guy. I can tell that, that he seems to have a real care for people. And that is a good thing, even if um, it, it's expressed in a worldview that, that has problems. And so uh, what we want to focus on here is he made a video about his experience in an evangelical Christian university. And he talked a little bit about the sexual ethics that Christians have in a place like that. And I did a whole video on that as it relates to just sexuality in general. But he spoke about a particular person, and that person is Dr. Yuan. And so I thought, man, it'd be, it should be great if I could get Dr. Yuan to come to humble himself, to come down to my little channel and, uh, and react to this. So I'm going to read what uh, Drew said here. This is directly from the transcript uh, of the YouTube video, so, so I don't think there'll be any problem there. And uh, obviously, this comes in the context of a bigger video, but I don't think this is out of context. And I'm going to put the link to that video in the description for anyone that thinks that, that I'm unfairly representing anything that can go check that out. Uh, but here's what he said. He says, the curriculum for my psychology degree at this university reinforced the idea that personal anecdotes lacking any controls against confounding factors served as less reliable data points than observations made within an experimentally controlled environment. Meanwhile, the university proudly ignored all research on sexual orientation in favor of the anecdotes of evangelists who claimed to have turned straight by the grace of God. In fact, the university even had Christopher Yuan, a so-called ex-gay Christian evangelist, speak in one of our chapel services while I was there. He told us the story of how he found Jesus while he was in prison and subsequently stopped living as a gay man. We students were expected to see him as evidence for the claim that God can change our sexual orientation because, you know, personal testimony is all we should need to believe that huge claim. However, during the Q&A, which followed his presentation, a student asked a question which should have had an easy answer if God truly was in the business of turning people straight. The student asked, now that you've come to God, are you sexually attracted to women? Christopher's answer, no. His answer had most of the audience looking around at each other in confusion. After several seconds of silence, he asked for the next question and just moved on. It was obvious, even with all of his talk of God's power over sin, the reality was that he had simply chosen to be celibate. So we at this academic institution were expected to forego any consideration of scientific research on sexual orientation in favor of a narrative which we were told was supported by anecdotes of great Christians, but was in reality still not supported by the experience of the most accomplished ex-gay evangelist to which we had access. What are your thoughts, I don't know Christopher? The most accomplished uh, ex-gay. Anyway, I, I I did have an opportunity to to watch that. Someone else had had given me a link before that. Um, I I wasn't familiar with Drew before. Um, I, I love his setup. <laughs> he he's, he obviously has has a big following, and and it's quite obvious why why he's mm -hmm. he's quite articulate. Um, he communicates really well. I think I'd I'd enjoy kind of hanging out with him and getting to know him. So it's I, so I, funny that you say that because my audience will know that is exactly what I've said about Drew on oh, multiple really? occasions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't know him personally. I actually have no idea what school he went to. I I, I would like to know. I, I I don't know if he's ever talked about where he went. I mean, I've spoken at several different Christian Christian schools, um, but I just don't know. You know what what 
what his school communicated. I don't know what his psychology department or a psych, I'm not part of that. Um, as a matter of fact, when people invite me, it's not teachers, it's not professors, it's not, it was not the psychology department. I mean, <clears throat> for my, you know, uh, for my memory, I don't think ever a psychology department ever invited me. It's always the chaplain. It's always maybe someone in the Bible department who's over a chapel that invites me to speak. So I, that I can't really speak into, and I can't really have anything to say about, you know, uh, whether the psychology department really was saying, you know, you can pray away the gay. If they really said that, and if you've ever heard any of my videos or any of my more extensive talks, because uh, again, I don't know what messages that I did at, at the school, because I don't know what school it was. I usually do give my testimony in chapel, but oftentimes I do have time to kind of give a broader talk afterward and do have a q and A. I I mean, I, I do find it interesting that he said, I simply said no one was silent. Um, and, and I don't know, you've only been with me just for maybe half an hour, but I'm almost never silent. I, <laughs> I usually have yeah. too much to say. So, I mean, I, I've, you know, I, I think it's really helpful that as any person of influence to be accurate, uh, to portray a person, um, not distort the truth. And that's why whenever, you know, you know, like you say, we, if we're going to talk about others, whether it's someone that we don't agree with, whether it's an agnostic or an atheist or someone like, you know, myself dealing with this issue of sexuality, if I'm quoting someone who's gay or a gay Christian, I hopefully don't want to misrepresent them. But but it's it's quite interesting because though he might not be misrepresenting his school, I can't answer that. And obviously he's he's no longer Christian. So it, there's 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 some other issues that that's underlying this. So I don't want to make this as the only issue or, you know, this issue that is not having, uh, you know, implications uh, that are tied indirectly or directly to other situations that has happened to him in, in his deconversion. But definitely, if, if you've heard my testimony, I verily, you know, never talked about that I've turned straight. I mean, I'm not even dating anyone. So, you know, I would say someone who turns straight is someone who's maybe married, has children. That obviously isn't part of my story. I also don't ever use the word celibate. I, I think that that's fraught with problems tied to the Catholic Church with all of its controversies with sex abuse and, and pedophilia and stuff. So I never use that word celibacy. I do talk about that I'm, I'm single, but I always talk about in the context of that I pursue holy sexuality, which is when I'm single, I'm going to be chaste. When I'm married, and I'm using Jesus's definition of marriage, man and a woman, Mark chapter 10 and Matthew 19, then I'm going to be faithful of my spouse. So I think, you know, what when people ask me, do I still have attraction? You know, I, I, I put this is what I normally say. I put in the context of, well, all of us, you know, just simply because I might still have attractions or temptations doesn't then mean then that I am a certain way or, you know, first of all, I don't identify as gay. I don't think that that's an appropriate term for myself, not to say that I'm straight, though. And that's, you know, that's that's the confusion. I think that's both of those categories are problematic. Uh, you know, as a person who would be an atheist or agnostic or someone who identifies as LGBTQ, I think, you know, the first thing of of the gay community especially is to respect people as I as they label themselves. If a person says they're queer, well, that's how they want to be labeled. If a person says that, you know, I'm not bi, I'm gay, or, you know, I consider myself not gay, I, I like prefer the term lesbian, or I'm not queer, I'm non-binary, whatever it is, I mean, we're going to respect that person for that word. And I, to date, have never used that phrase, ex-gay. As a matter of fact, in my testimony, I even say that I don't identify as ex-gay. So there is a little, you know, quite clear misrepresentation. I mean, again, I don't, I don't know where that where I spoke at, and if there's a recording that we can check on, you know, most likely <laughs> we, there isn't. But I would never have said well, I am ex-gay. Yeah, and and you know, um, let me be clear: what we're doing here in mentioning this, what's the point of mentioning this? Well, um, the reason I wanted to talk about this is not because I think uh, or am presenting the possibility that Drew, a genetically modified skeptic, is intentionally being dishonest. 
Um, even just hearing the phrase ex-gay, you can pile on in your own thinking assumptions. Oh, they're showing us someone who used to be gay, therefore someone who used to have these desires and right. now is heterosexual. Um, and again, like you said, the school could have set it up to reinforce that concept or... Yes. Uh, the school may have presented it right, but a particular person at the school said, oh, yeah, it's a guy who who's now heterosexual. So so that's not the point. The point is really that guys got hundreds of thousands of followers on YouTube. And so I wanted to use what influence I have to let you, Dr. Yuan, clarify what you are saying um, so that people when they do criticize us, which we can expect, they're not criticizing a straw man, but they're actually criticizing you for what you actually believe. Um, and so, uh, so that, that's, that's good. But you know, as I, after I saw that video initially, I thought, well, let me go check, let me go check some of the videos I can find of Dr. Yuan. And I found that, um, and, and this is the same with me when I go speak at various places, I have a few different talks that I give and often I may, I may say them the same way verbatim, especially yeah, yeah. my testimony. And I noticed that I've got a video here from you from last year. I've got one from five years ago, one from 10 years ago, and you tell the same story in the same way. And a piece of each of those presentations, because I checked, was this thing about it's, it's about holiness, not about heterosexual or homosexual. So I, I think I thought that was clear, but I can see how or I can imagine how someone could just hear the phrase ex-gay on the lips of a classmate or a teacher and then pile on assumptions, right? Yeah, and and really, the, the whole thing, Braxton, is I always want to frame things in in the in the correct category, the correct paradigm, because I'd be the first to actually. I think it's when the church needs to be critiqued, we need to be critiqued. I, I don't want to give the impression that I'm just out to just critique and bash you know, those that I disagree with. I mean, I actually, hopefully, don't people don't see me like that. I, I want to give critique where it's due. And actually, much of my talk is actually critiquing the church for actually having the wrong framework. For example, the exact thing that uh, Drew was critiquing is, I mean, I actually agree with him in that that's the incorrect framework. I mean, he approaches it differently, his reasons are, but I'm approaching it simply because the Bible does not promote this. The problem is not one's sexuality. The problem is one's unbelief. And and also, you know, one's go, you know, when we're talking about holiness, this isn't simply kind of it's our modern understanding of holiness that we have, you know, kind of, you know, holier than thou or very pure. The biblical understanding of holiness is being set apart. God, if you're reading Leviticus, that really is the main main understanding of what Moses is talking about in those verses. Holiness is meant that Israel, the people of God, were to be set apart from the other pagan nations, not only in their actions, but in their devotion to God and in their thoughts and all of that. So I wanted to just reframe the conversation away from this Freudian framework of separating ourselves into categories according to our attractions, but actually using the biblical framework of sanctification, that we are separated by those that are justified and those are not justified, and it is through that justification that we can be sanctified or made holy. And so that's really the framework of, and I totally get it, that people who don't don't start with that framework, uh, don't understand what we're talking about, but too often uh, there's an oversimplification of, well, it's got to be either that you, that you understand it this way as, you know, gay is okay, or you think like everyone else thinks that are Christian, like we, we all think one way in Christendom, and that is, you know, that we want people to turn straight. Well, if you look at the church today, that may be, some people still hold that, but I see a lot of the church actually moving away from that and recognizing that's not the right framework. And certainly not that someone who identified as gay or lesbian cannot then no longer, uh, you know, or, or can never be in an opposite sex relationship. That I know uh, to be not true. And again, that doesn't mean that that, that person turned straight but that person might still experience those attractions to the same sex. But those that I've talked to, they do have attractions toward their spouse of the opposite sex, whether whether it's a, a, a woman. Uh, for example, Rosaria Butterfield is a close friend of mine. She identified as a lesbian and now is married to a man. And I know right away people think, well, she was never lesbian. Well, 
again, who are we to say, you know, what a person was or wasn't, you know, it isn't that then kind of, kind of judgmental of someone else. I know others, gay men who, you know, many years and now they're married to women and, and they're continued to be faithful to, to their spouse of the opposite sex. But my goal again is not thinking through in very kind of humanist Freudian categories of that were divided in categories of personhood according to our attractions sexual attractions, but that we're really thinking in biblical categories of being justified, of being sanctified, and having these categories of holiness. Well, Dr. Yuan, this has just been fantastic, and I want to be um, conscious of your time, but um, you teach at Moody Bible Institute, is that right? I think we said. Right. And um, and that is just such, uh, I mean, that, that school just has such an incredible reputation, incredible history. And the, the auditorium there at Moody Memorial Church is just fantastic. And I remember yes. visiting there. But, um, but we've just enjoyed having you on the show. And I know that our listeners are going to appreciate this. And uh, there will be, I'm sure, much vigorous debate in the comment section of YouTube. Um, and so uh, we'll look forward to, to, to seeing what people have to say. But I think what I love about this is, yeah, when it comes to progressive churches that might have, quote unquote, gay Christianity, it, the foundations are different. Uh, what do you believe about the That's Bible? Right. Because what we're finding out is there's a deeper issue here. It's not really the issue about homosexuality. There are a range of things that we could differ on. Uh, what we have to first agree on to get to that point is uh, the authority of God's word. And That's right. that may take some conversation to get to that point. And I, I thought that was clear in what you said, but um, I feel like I've made a friend today and I'm so glad that you showed up and we're going to, we want people to go check out your book and uh, Holy Sexuality, Holy Sexuality. There's a link in the description. Just click that link, go over there and get a copy right now. Even if you don't plan on reading it right away, you'll want it as a resource in the days to come. And uh, thank you so much, Christopher. Is there anything else you want to say as we go? No, thank you so much for having me on. It, it really has been a blessing. All right. And we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.